1: face to face. So my next interview is with Erin Miller. She is the CEO and editor in chief of Discourse Media. She's a journalist and an entrepreneur. She's part of the staff there, clearly. And we are about to have a conversation that uh, I'm hoping you're going to take part in. That is uh, fascinating on a variety of levels. We talk about innovation and 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 about uh, radical transparency. One of my favorite uh, notions coming out of out of out of this uh, this interview, this conversation with Erin. and we talk about. Why millennials are kind of the future of, of what Erin refers to as profitable uh, journalism. We talk about why she's so so hopeful uh, about where we're heading in this era of fake news and 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 issues of credibility and as she says a crisis of trust. We talk about community engagement and and economic potential and and, and investigative journalism, uh, local news, poverty. A fascinating interview. You're gonna you're gonna want to stay tuned. Don't uh, don't touch that dial coming right up aaron miller with discourse media and don't forget you can also get behind speaking of uh, you know new uh, forms of journalism you can get behind what i'm doing here through patreon patreon.com and you can come alongside and help support uh, what i'm doing as well there I uh, would certainly appreciate you checking that out patreon.com and david peck live as well for more information about my speaking and my writing and of course don't forget rabble.ca where you'll find out a whole lot more about what's going on in canada and around the world uh, a lot of articles podcasts and and things to dive uh, deep into coming right up aaron miller from discourse media well, welcome to face to face. We're joined by a very special guest today. Uh Aaron Miller is here from Discourse Media to talk about uh the media, the state of uh news and, and media in general here uh in, in, in Canada. Aaron, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. So, we have so much to talk about, and and I know already, based on what little bit of a conversation that we've had, we 're not going to have enough time so So, I think I need to book with you part two of the interview right now, so maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe we can do that tell us Tell us a little bit about discourse and about what you're doing that involves uh, a one million dollar investment. Sure.
0: Um, So, Discourse Media is a Vancouver-based digital media company, and we're committed uh, to producing investigative journalism that is community-based. So, what we mean by that is, um, you know, as there's been this decline in media, uh, one of the first things that got cut was uh, investigative journalism. So, the sorts of projects that take a lot of research, a lot of data journalism, a lot of time um, um, to report on that really reveal something new, is how we think about investigative journalism. Um, there's really that tradition that we're trying to um, bring back, um, but doing that in a very new digital way. Um, and that's where the community engagement piece comes in. So um, we're really trying to figure out new ways of, of um, bringing our community that are somehow involved in the issues that we're reporting on into our reporting um, so that we can be uh, integrating their knowledge so that we can make sure our reporting is super relevant to what's going on on the ground and um, we're uh, very lucky to be at this moment in time because there's a lot of new digital tools and technologies that we can use uh, to really do that in new ways. So that's what discourse is about. Um, and so you asked, uh, you asked, what we're doing, raising a million dollars. That's now. So, right. What are
1: you going to do with a million dollars? That's what I yeah. want. Yeah.
0: It's a big number. Um, so we're three and a half years old. Um, And for the first three years, uh, we've been really experimenting with ways of doing journalism that can have a larger impact on social Mm -hmm. issues. That was the goal. And we're now a team of uh, 14 full-time, mostly journalists, um, doing this work. And we think, you know, we've now won national and international awards for our work. We've attracted this, like, absolutely killer team um, and we're reaching, you know, millions of, of audience members through partnerships with dozens of media outlets around the world, from the, the Paris Standard in in D.C. to the New York Times. Um, so we feel like we've really nailed our model and we have a vision for how we can develop a profitable business model that can enable us to, uh, to scale uh, nationally and then eventually uh, scale up by bringing the discourse model to communities where we're seeing um, uh, that are losing their local community newspapers. Um, but in order to do that, we need money. <laughs> we've been like growing up until now very much just by bootstrapping and borrowing a little bit of money from family and um, that kind of thing. And um, we've grown this to the point that we can do within my own uh, economic power. So at this point, we've developed a plan about how we want to bring this national and. Um, um, and, and we're doing our first external financing in order to enable us to
1: do that. And you're on a campaign till the, we'll, we'll talk a bit, a little bit more about it at the end, I, I suppose, of our chat today, but, uh, till the 21st of December, I think to, to raise this million dollars and, yep. and, and this is a way for Canadians to get involved.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, when we looked at, uh, you know, what kind of business or what kind of organization did we want to be, we considered being a nonprofit, um, as well, and we've had support from a number of foundations to help get us here. Um, but we felt that we wanted to do this in a business model. And the reason for that is is because we believe that um, that's the vehicle that we can really have mm. the impact that we have the potential to make if we can actually innovate what is a profitable business model that supports public service journalism, Um, at this time where like advertising revenue is just like, you know, going through the floor and, um, nobody has figured out how to make journalism scalable. So we felt that if we could develop that, that would be a huge contribution to the industry that we would hope would be replicated by other media outlets that were doing different things. Um, and, uh, uh, so that was really our vision. So that puts us into a very different, Mm -hmm. um, category in terms of how we raise money. We're not asking for donations, um, we're asking for investments, and we wanted to ensure that um, there was a diverse community of shareholders that were part of this investment campaign to keep us um, keep us honest to our our values and our mission, um, to help us succeed because their interests were aligned with ours, and then to share the benefits when we do succeed. Um, we know we intend these investments to to produce returns uh, for the, our shareholders in, in the coming years as we hit profitability and scale this uh, across Canada.
1: So so tell me about what's going on. I mean, we, we, you know, just in the last uh, 24, 36 hours, we a pretty, pretty crazy announcement coming out uh, for post-media and Torstar uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and potentially uh, upwards of, I think, 40 local community p- newspapers being shut down. Mm-hmm. What what's going on out there? I mean, you know, I remember I just sort of fondly reminded of you know Egon from Ghostbusters, where he makes the comment, you know, print is dead. I mean, in in the film Ghostbusters, is is this what it's this is all about? It's just people aren't aren't buying newspapers. I I still like the you know the the print version, but but tell 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 me more. Yeah, so
0: I mean, journalism has long been in a subsidization business model, meaning that. Um, Even when uh, we were at the peak of people buying subscriptions to physical print newspapers, it never paid the full cost of the production of that paper. Hmm. Um, Most of that was still um, being paid for by
1: advertising. And
0: print advertising always um, was valued higher than um, they've been able to to uh, replicate through digital advertising, so that's sort of the one piece that happened as we first started to see the decline. Uh, you know, between 10 and five years ago, was that transition to digital and seeing that the value of, of advertising wasn't as high. Right. And what's really happened in this most recent um, um, contraction of the industry is that um, is that the amount of Canadian digital advertising revenue that is now going to the platforms um, it's over 70 percent. Just to Google and Facebook. So it wow. doesn't even include Twitter or any other um, platform. Um, uh, that's really made it, like, that's really a tipping point, meaning that um, the economics are just not there anymore. Uh, we can't rely on advertising anymore. So, so that's what's really behind um, this latest announcement that um, we're going to see um, as many as, as 40 community newspapers um, closing um, between Post Media and Torstar. And um, the last, by the last analysis that I heard about of, of Post Media's um, uh, books, um, predicted that they had 18 months uh, left before they would hit bankruptcy. And that's um, 250 community newspapers across this country. It's the largest chain in the country. So this is really um, a really distressing time to be in the industry because newspapers uh, still remain the primary source of original reporting. So that means our communities, hmm. um, local politicians are not being covered. Um and it's also, uh, I mean, the thing that really um, sickens me about these announced closures is that these communities that no longer have community newspapers really, um, it's not just about holding power to account, it's also community newspapers have united us. So there was um, some research that came out by the Knight Commission in the States several years ago studying communities that have lost their community newspaper and what had changed. And what they found was that um, there was actually more division between neighbors we were hmm. less likely to volunteer. We're less likely to um, um, to trust our neighbors. We're less likely to vote if there's not a community newspaper. So it's those sorts of impacts that um, um, that um, you know we're uh, we're really going to see in the next while. And so I mean, it's all the more reason for to, to start really rebuilding something new, and that's what we're trying to do. With it. So, to, to,
1: so tell me about this notion of profitable journalism. I mean. That almost sounds, in a way, oxymoronic, but, I mean, obviously, it probably doesn't sound that way to the journalists and people who are, you know, raising families and trying to get paychecks and so on, but is there, does that bother you in any sense? Does that open you up to some sort of ethical liability down the road?
0: Um, well, I actually think the uh, counter to that. I mean, I, I told you a little bit why we chose this in a business model as opposed to a nonprofit model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, certainly, I'm um, I'm not uh, uh, I, I haven't gotten into the journalism business primarily to make money. Right. Way easier really? to make money. Really? Is that, <laughs> um,
1: are, you, are you sure that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: But what we saw in the States after, like, the digital disruption there is a little further along than it Mm. is in Canada. And when we were developing our business plan at Discourse, like, we really studied what was happening in the States and in European markets as well. And what we found was that there was this huge nonprofit news sector that popped up um, in the States that is doing some really amazing work, like ProPublica and our partner, um, the Center for Investigative Reporting and the Reveal podcast, for example, um, and their funding model is essentially that they get um, small d- donations, but mostly large foundations giving them grants to do reporting around certain issues. And we don't have the same pile of private money here in Canada that um, there is in the States. And there's also some other barriers to why we don't see foundation money going into journalism um, as much as it's some CRA rules and stuff that we don't need to talk about. But... Um, but I think the reality of that is that the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation essentially get to decide what topics are reported on and what are not. Right, right. And yes, these organizations have editorial independence in the stories that they're choosing and all of that um, at the sort of story and editorial level. But um, but it's still it's still a model that is making the overall industry responsive to. Um, to the needs of of private money as opposed to being responsive to the needs of individuals. So we're trying to do this in a business model that is asking people to pay for this. And we wanna do a business model because we wanna make it scalable so that we can really have a large impact. Um. So I actually feel that this is more values and mission aligned for me as opposed than um, doing a different model. So that's why we've chosen to do it this way.
1: How 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 are millennials changing the way uh, that news is not only and I'm I'm uncomfortable with use, even using the phrase consume. There was an interesting article recently by Martin mm-hmm. Scorsese about about film and. And, and he said, you know, movies aren't meant to be consumed. They're meant to be experienced. And I wonder if there's something similar to that about news. And yet, it seems, and even CNN has shifted recently, their mm-hmm. online platform is way more digital. Uh, sorry, not way more digital, way more video-based. Something mm-hmm. that doesn't really appeal to me. I'd rather read the article. I'd rather read the mm-hmm. op-ed than watch a two-and-a-half-minute video. So mm-hmm. I'm just, yeah, what, what, what are what are young people doing to the landscape?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, one big shift, and um, this probably does reflect your uh, uh, your experience, is also that we're consuming and discovering what we're uh, the content that we're consuming through social platforms, as opposed to saying going to homepages of publications. Right. So, um, yeah, I used to check the Globe and Mail homepage every, like, every five minutes, it felt like. I, I don't even think I do it daily anymore, and, um, and I'm assuming that I'm going to discover the stories that are most important through, um, through Facebook, through Twitter, through the different platforms that I'm just like, kind of constantly engaged in conversation, and that experience is, very much reflects um, what younger people are mm-hmm. um, doing. I am a millenn- millennial, so I'll <laughs> um, I include myself in that group. Um, so what that means is that we're consuming media from a lot more sources than we used right, to, um, right. and that has really changed the dynamics of trust in, in journalism. So, um, so uh, millennials are uh, over 60% of our audience falls between 20 and 40, so we think about this group a lot, and um, um, they are, are distrustful of the journalistic process. Um, they do tend to have a little bit more trust in those sort of legacy uh, Brands of media, but they still don't really trust them and they're trying to figure out what to trust. So that's one big thing. Um, Definitely, uh, video is is a huge trend right now and that's being pushed forward by Facebook's algorithms that are um, uh, really rewarding um, um, smart social video production by by pushing it forward and getting really broad reach. Um, So that is one thing that we're seeing, but I don't know if that will have staying power. Um, we'll see. But one thing that I have really found interesting is that there was this like this assumption for many years that younger people weren't willing to um, engage in content and like right. uh, and either read long form or whether it's a podcast or some other format, um, weren't willing to do that. And that we had a short attention span and we only wanted to be entertained by cat videos, etc. cetera.
1: Um, <laughs> and
0: actually that's really not the case. Um, we've seen uh, much more willingness um, uh, uh of people, younger people, to be reading long form and mm-hmm. stuff like that digitally, particularly as the user experience of mobile phones has right. has improved. So, like, I, I don't want to sit on my laptop and like read like a twenty thousand word Atlantic feature, but I'll totally um, lounge on my couch and look at it on my phone if the user experience is good now. Um, so, yeah, so we're finding that. And there was a really recent study that just came out that was, um, that was sponsored by the Canadian Journalism Foundation that looked specifically at age demographics and consumption habits of Canadians. We don't have that much data about Canadians. Um, that showed that uh, millennials were actually more likely to engage in issue-based Longer form than baby boomers, so I thought
1: that was a really interesting that's fat, yeah, no, that's fascinating. <laughs> that would totally sort of turn that idea on its head, right? That exactly. That Who
0: millen- has the short attention span?
1: Yeah, millennials <laughs> are all distracted, aren't they? Yeah, yeah.
0: They're well, not- we like cat videos, but we also want to consume uh, video, and there's nothing wrong with doing
1: both. Well, right? yeah, so little 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 style, little substance goes goes, yeah. goes. goes a long way. So you brought up the notion of the the, the issue of trust. I mean, mm-hmm. why does? I mean, in this age of of, of Donald. Trump and fake news. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, by the way. And, and before we actually hit record, you had made, you had made a reference to something you called radical transparency, which I love, should be the Mm -hmm. title of your first book that you write, actually, I think. But, um, yeah, I mean, we live in this era of supposedly fake news. Why, why would anybody believe anything? Isn't it all spin? Isn't it all just uh, a simulation of, of, of the real, of, of the, uh, you know, the authentic?
0: Yeah, that's that's a provocative question. And I mean, in a way I agree with you. Um, I think that, um, one of the things that has damaged, uh, the journalism industry's trust with, um, uh, with their audience, and I'm a journalist first and foremost, I'm now running a company, but I started this as a journalist and I, and I think like a journalist, um, and, um, is the fact that we pretended that there was objectivity. And mm, the nice. voice and the tone of news, right. the way that we're trained to report, is the sort of authoritative voice of God tone where it's like, you just have to trust me based on because I'm the one broadcasting the information that I think that you need, and you just have to trust me that this is accurate and that this is balanced and all of that. And um, and I think what has happened, particularly in the last, you know, year and a half as we saw this really, really damaging presidential um, campaign and and fake news from Russia and all of these things is that there's been this awareness among among um, people you know people who care about issues and care about news and that's not everyone of course but um, that hey like we need to value journalism we need to think differently about it we need to be thinking critically and that's led to a lot of um, focus on on how do we uh, how can we how can we build more trust with audiences? And so we at Discourse we actually think that that's the primary problem that we need to solve for as journalists. And we're doing that by thinking the, about the, our voice. The,
1: the, the credibility question.
0: The credibility question. Like if we can put forward work that somebody who, um, I mean, particularly because we're a new digital brand and right. that's, you know, and, and it's people don't know how to judge which digital brands to trust and which not to. That we know if we're going to build credibility with a large enough audience that we're going to be successful that we need to do it in such a way where you can consume our content and immediately have uh, an idea that you should trust it so we're doing it by really changing our voice and um, as like a long-form magazine writer who was trained in the old school some of this come is kind of counterintuitive to me like this idea that we should place ourselves always as journalists in our piece and acknowledge where we're at in our journey of expertise and show how the sausage is made and talk about our sources and be clear about the process and um, behind journalism and verification and like what are the limitations of our certainty about things and why did we choose this source over that source? And so, and, and you know, it's, it's a careful balancing act because we also don't want to just be navel gazy like nobody needs to be <laughs> right. like, well, what, the so details we... of how I do my job? But there are like visual signals and tone signals that we yep. can give to people. It's yeah.
1: it's so interesting. I mean, it sounds like we're 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 in an ethics class, a, philo- a philosophy class of, of of years ago, and probably of of yesterday too. Yeah. But just those some yeah. of those questions that you're asking are so so relevant. I have a ten and a twelve year old, and 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 watching them grow up with with digital in a way that I certainly didn't have. And where where will uh, where will that credibility question for them begin? An end, you know, as yeah. they continue to not only hopefully become more literate with this stuff, but but actually, I'm hoping and trusting a little more critical and reflective, and 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 wanting to go, you know, wanting to go a little deeper. And and uh, are you hopeful?
0: I'm totally hopeful. Um, you know, I actually feel more hopeful at this point in time in my career than I have in my entire journalism uh, career. That's and fascinating. I mean, that might sound insane. <laughs> it's like there's like this total crisis happening in media and in politics but uh i feel like some of the forces that are are just like that have been holding the system back from really like transforming um are at tipping points you know like that that i mentioned earlier about advertising like advertising advertising incentive model is just like completely um Mm. yeah just completely uh uh messed everything up because what it did was it incentivized editors and journalists and content creators to treat their audiences like the source of eyeballs to sell to advertisers. Um, And the incentives were just so upside down where, you know, it was better off to trick somebody into clicking on something, even if you, you know, if you ever clicked on a headline, this article isn't even about this, you know, Um, that's how we got to a crisis in trust or, or that like really formulaic stuff that, you know, is just um, clickbait and all of that. So this is starting to fall away and we're really going to see, like a really fundamental shift as as um, revenue strategies are moving away from advertisers to asking for audiences to pay for things um, and uh, and audiences are more willing to pay for things because of this crisis of politics because now they say oh wait we need to value this and you know we're seeing now at the new york times that almost 60 percent of their revenue is coming from their audience as opposed mm-hmm. to advertisers right the globe and mail is now over 50 percent um, and i think that's exciting because that means that media has to stop and say hey like how do I create real value for the consumers of this as opposed to how do I create value for advertisers? And those are very, very different things.
1: It's it's amazing that you are so hopeful. I I mean you can really hear it in in your voice and you're clearly passionately committed to the cause and to to moving this whole thing forward, which I think is just remarkable. And what I love about what all of you guys do is it's about the conversation. It's it's about the dialogue. It's about asking questions and isn't isn't that really what good journalism or great journalism is all about? Tell us just as we wrap up here sadly we have to go what 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 can we do again? we can invest uh, minimum investments two hundred and fifty dollars um, how do yep. how, how can we go about doing that?
0: Yeah, so we um, are on a um, uh, we're on a, a platform called front funders so that's uh, front funder with only an R at the end, not an ER, you know, a right. new digital name. Um, and you can find Discourse Media on there and invest through that process. It's a little bit more complicated than Kickstarter because you're actually an investor and a shareholder. You have to go through a process. We don't see any of that data, though. Um, and, um, and also, if you're in Vancouver, we're doing a really interesting event um, on um, uh, December 7th, next Thursday, uh, in conversation with a celebrated U.S. Uh, media critic, Jay Rosen. Um, we'll be talking about uh, this crisis of trust and why it's one of the most exciting times um, to Amazing. be innovating in media.
1: Amazing. Well, listen, thanks, thanks for your time today. We've been uh, chatting with Erin Miller. She's the CEO and Editor-in-Chief of Discourse Media, a journalist, and a, um, I would say a passionate and committed entrepreneur. Erin, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so
0: much. I'm going to let you go. Okay, Bye-bye.